The book of Ruth, chapter 4. Go ahead and find that. If not, it will be on the screen for you. Ruth, chapter 4. All right, Ruth, chapter 4. Here we go. Emer. Boaz went to the gate of the town, sat down there. Soon the family redeemer, Boaz, had spoken about, uh, soon the family redeemer, Boaz, had spoken about, came by, and Boaz said, come over here and, he, and, and sit down. So he went over and sat down, and Boaz took ten men of the town's elders and said, sit here. And as he sat down, he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling the portion of the field that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should inform you, buy it back in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you, want, if you want to redeem it, do it. But if you do not want to redeem it, tell me so that I may know, because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I am next after you. I want to redeem it, he answered, or buy it back. Then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from Naomi, you will acquire Ruth the Moabitess the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's uh, name on his property. The redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself or I will ruin my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption because I can't redeem it. At an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sin. Concerning the right of redemption or the exchange of property, this was the method of legally binding transaction in Israel. So the redeemer removed his sandal, said to Boaz, buy back the property yourself. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Kilion, and Malchon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malion's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses today. And all the people who were at the city gate, including the elders, said, We are witnesses. And may the Lord make the woman who is entering your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built the house of Israel. May you be powerful in Ephrathah, and your name well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son of Tamar, who uh, bore Judah. Because the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. And Boaz to her, and Ruth, she became his wife, and he slept with her. And the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. And may his name become well known in Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is better than seven sons, has given birth to him. And Naomi took the child, placed him on her lap, and became his nanny. And the, woman, the, the neighbor who said, a son has been born to Naomi, and they named him Oved. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Ovid. Ovid fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, uh, we read 1 Peter when we started out saying that we are gathered here to speak your word. 
and to hear your word. Lord, we are gathered together in your presence, in the presence of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and with the power of the Spirit, Lord, to do the things that you've called us to do, to receive the things that you're about ready to give us. And Lord, may you do it all. Lord, we just sang. We depend upon you for our daily bread, for everything. Lord God, we can do nothing apart from you because you are the vine. And Lord, we are connected to you as your branches. Pray that you would pour forth your life through Jesus Christ by the power of your spirit now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you're new with us this morning, uh, we are finishing up the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. That is in the first part of the Bible. It's a little book, four chapters. So we spent four uh, weeks on this little book. Um, now, something to know about us as a church, we are committed to preaching through books of the Bible um, because we believe the books of the Bible are inspired by God, that they are God's words. So we want to know what's in this book. Right? We want to know what's in the, in the books of the Bible, not that that's all that we do. We, a couple weeks ago, we spent two weeks on the topic of prayer. Right? But we are committed to working through um, books of the Bible. Right, so this morning what we're going to do is we are going to summarize the book of Ruth. We're not going to look at all the details and the flip-flop exchange that we just read about and all that. Um, and we're going to sum it all up. Right, we're going to sum it all up this morning. We have been talking about how Ruth is light in the darkness. All right, and that's what we're going to look at. So in order to do that, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to name our darkness. All right. We're going to name our darkness uh, right out the gate. Um, if you don't know, um, I work for the county. I have a full-time job here at the county, and uh, I work in substance abuse. And as a case manager, did a drug screen, and he failed. Failed the drug screen. He, he, he used. And I've been knowing this guy for about three years now. He's lucky to be alive, and he's doing great. You know, and I could tell, I can almost tell when someone is used just by looking at him. And I could tell someone was bothering him, and he looked guilty, like he was shameful. And he said to me, he said, I don't know why I do this. I don't know why I keep doing this, right? And uh, he, what he meant was I keep going back. I keep using drugs, and I keep trying to lie about it. I keep trying to hide it, right? My response to him was we all got darkness in our lives. Everybody's got darkness in their life that when we have darkness in our life, we want to hide it. We want to hide it. We don't want anyone to know about it and to bring it out um, into the open. So let's just get right down to it. Where is the darkness in your life? If everybody's got darkness, where is the darkness in your life? Um, you know, one of the beautiful things about the Bible is it doesn't downplay the darkness in life and in the world. It is very true to life. Keeps it real. 100 about the, the darkness that is in our lives and out uh, in the world. I think for the book of Ruth, it goes all the way there. It goes there. Yeah, it goes there. Um, the historical setting for the book of Ruth was during the time of the Judges. So there's a whole book in the Bible right before Ruth uh, called the Judges. And during that time, Israel had been brought, rescued out of slavery by Moses, brought into the land of Canaan that God gave them, and then they had a tailspin. All right, they had this downward spiral and they had a moral, it was a moral and spiritual downfall. Um, and that's what the book of, book of Judges is trying to make clear. And that, that is when Ruth happened. Ruth happened in the middle of this just chaos. 
So if you re- reading the book of Judges is like watching a mafia movie. I don't know if you're into those things, but that's what it's like. By the time you get to Judges 19, this dude's girlfriend gets raped. He chops her up into uh, pieces and sends her body parts throughout the nation of Israel as a protest. And, and the whole point is to show from the very beginning to the end, this is, this is getting worse. And then you have the book of Ruth. All right, so the, so the Bible is not um, shy about the darkness. The, book, the beginning of the book of Ruth says that uh, this happened during a famine. So there wasn't any food on the shelves at Food Line. There wasn't any food. It was scarce. People rationing meals and stuff. And the Bible doesn't say why, why that was. But implicit is that it was the judgment of God. And that God's hand was heavy on, his, on the nation because they were rebelling against him. And he was disciplining them. Um, it was a dark time for Naomi and Ruth. That's what this book is about, these two little ladies, Naomi and Ruth. Their husbands had died. That's how the story starts out. That, that Ruth's husband died and, Naomi, and uh, uh, or Naomi's husband died, Ruth's husband died, which meant for Naomi, both of her sons died. So here they were, grieving on the edge of starvation, and uh, they came back to uh, their hometown in Bethlehem, right? See, the, the, the Bible does not shy away from death, right? You see, there, there is not a week goes by, not, probably I don't even know a day that goes by, someone doesn't share with me some experience about death. Right? I, I, I could tell you how many, how many uh, uh, minutes ago that I heard something about death. I didn't, no lie, yesterday, Saturday afternoon, I went to the grocery store, got out of my car, there's someone pulled in my driveway and says, hey, will you pray for this situation because someone is, I don't know if they're going to make it, right? See, death is something we all got to face in life. And, you know, in our culture, you know what we want to do? We want to mask that. We're scared to death of death in our culture. But the Bible makes us face that reality, all right, because guess what? We're all going to die. We're all going uh, to face uh, death. And that's where, the, that's where darkness leads. The darkness of sin leads to death, the Bible says. This book is honest about shame. Shame. Chapter 1, it says that uh, Naomi came back to Bethlehem in shame. Right? And, and sin was a part of that. Sin was a part of that. It, maybe it was just the sin of her, her husband, leading her away from uh, God's people, leading her away from the worship of God down into the pagan territory of, of Moab. Right? But listen, Na- Naomi wasn't perfect. She was just like you and me. She had darkness in her life, and she came back in shame. Sin always leads to shame. When we do something we know that is not right, we violate our conscience, we do something that uh, the Bible says we're not supposed to do, it leads to shame. You guys know the story of the garden? This is what happened. Adam and Eve were there in paradise. God gave them everything they could possibly ever imagine. And they said, we want more. They, they, and they, they rebelled against God. They did what was forbidden. And what did they try to do? Hide. Just like the client, my client at work, he tried to hide. All right, they, 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 uh, they, they sewed together some little um, fig leaf speedos and hide in the bushes, hide from God. And uh, listen, listen, you can't hide in your shame. You can't minimize shame. You can't like 
shrink it down and make it something. It's not because the cause of it is sin. And we can never, uh, you can't blame others. Sometimes people can do things that are twisted and wicked and evil and hurt you, and you feel guilty about them. You, you, or you feel guilty about it. You feel uh, ashamed about it. And uh, the truth is, that's horrible, but we should never feel guilty or shame because of something that someone else did to us. Right? That's an improper guilt or an improper uh, uh, shame. But when we do something that we know is wrong and we feel guilty about it, we can't blame anybody else. Uh, we can't medicate shame. Listen, our culture is more medicated than it has ever been in the entire history of the world, and we are more guilty than we've ever been. So maybe we need to think about a different solution. Right? You, medication doesn't touch sin, by the way. Think about that. It only touches your body. You can't escape from shame through drugs or alcohol. Right? Naomi was bitter, the text says. Right? And that's a dark place to be. And listen, I know this is heavy. Right? But, but, the, but we have to be honest about the, the darkness. So we're never going to get any help. We're never going to be able to come, come to the light. Right? Naomi was bitter. Look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 20. Ruth chapter 1. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered, for the, Lord, for the Almighty has made me bitter. Right? And why was she bitter? She was bitter because she didn't understand how God was at work in her life, how God was at work, at work in the world. Listen, I love living in West Virginia. I do. I, I'm proud to be a West Virginian, in case you don't, you don't know that. Right? I moved back uh, here. I grew up here in West Virginia, in southern West Virginia. Uh, spent, grew up here until I was 20 and then left for like 20 years and I'm happy to be back. I love this community, right? But you know, um, people that know about Berkeley Springs or pass through here or, you know, they're just aware of this town and I know a lot of pastors and leaders outside of here. You know what, you know what a common statement they make to me is? I didn't make it. They make it. That's a dark place. That's a dark place. That's a dark place. That's a dark place. They said you can almost feel it sometimes when you, uh, when you uh, come through. And part of what makes, part of the darkness in our community is substance abuse. All right? And, and we don't want to hide that. All right? We don't want to hide that, right? And what, what is the root of substance abuse? What is the root of, of, of taking a substance? I don't care if it's legally prescribed to you or not. And using that to escape or to medicate your shame and your guilt and your problems or, or whatever it is. And listen, I've spent a long time thinking about this. Here's the root of it. It is not understanding that God is at work in the world. That's part of it. It is not understanding there is a God and he is doing stuff in your life and in this world. Um, there's a guy named Andrew Sullivan. He wrote an article a while back. It's called America's New Religions. And he was writing about, part of the article was about how he was reporting on the opioid epidemic in our culture. And this is what he says. I saw this most religion, our opioid epidemic. Materialism find that they have few interior resources to keep going when the crisis. Here's what he's saying. Listen, in our communities, the church has lost its prominence and its priority for a long time. You know the church used to be the, be the main deal in, in, your, in all the communities throughout our country? It was like where everything happened. 
like the hub of the community. That is not the case anymore. We've lost God. So what do we got? What do we got left? Everything we bought at Walmart. All the stuff that we're shopping for on Amazon. Stuff we see on Facebook and, and all the little TV shows and stuff that we watch. It's just material stuff. Stuff that we can touch and see and feel. But God's not a part of it. So when the crisis hits, we don't have any resources to deal with. He goes on. They have no place of refuge, no spiritual safe place from which to gain perspective, no God to turn to. And many have responded to the collapse of meaning in the dark times by simply and logically numbing themselves to death. And here's what he's saying. Listen, when you don't understand that there is a God and that there is hope, the logical next step is there is no meaning to any of this stuff in life. So just get high and just escape from it all. It doesn't really matter. Go melt away into a corner somewhere. Extinguishing the existential pain, that is just the pain of life. Life is hard. Life is tough. It's difficult through the ever stronger painkillers that ultimately kill the pain of life itself. You know one of the first when I, first time I first time I really started reading the Bible, one of the verses that just it just jumped off the page to me while my friends were out in the living room sniffing coke was this. You were without God and without hope in the world. You were without God and without hope in the world. And I thought, whoa, that's me. I've been without God. And I, I've, been, I've been without hope. See, all of these things ought to cause us to ask, is there any hope? Right, is there any light in the darkness? And the, and the answer from the book of Ruth is yes, there is light in the darkness. And that's what we're going to talk about. There's light in history. There's light in history. Yes, God's light has broken into the darkness in history. That means you can put a date on it. You can put a time on it. 2,500 years ago, yeah, all this stuff went down. I'm talking about the book of Ruth, that is. Um, because I'm a good parent, um, over the Thanksgiving holiday, we have been watching true crime shows. Um, uh, because I don't want my girls to be ignorant about the darkness as there, as there is in the world. Um, I'm not advocating that as a, a, as a, a parenting technique. But if you've ever watched anything like that, when, when someone is a suspect and they're uh, interrogating them, they ask, can you verify your whereabouts? Can you verify your whereabouts? Right? See, they're interrogating them. Say, okay, was it on, on this date, where were you? We can do the same thing with the Bible. Right? We can interrogate the Bible. Um, and, you know, you can't do that with a lot of other religions because they're not talking about real history. The Bible comes to you and says, there was a little girl, her name was Ruth, during the time of the Judges. Right? It's not talking about myth. Matter of fact, I don't know any scholar that claims that the Bible is myth. I'm talking about scholars that don't believe in the book, but they, they don't talk about it as myth. Nobody believes that because the Bible comes to us at, during the time of the judges. So we're talking about a particular period of history in the life of, of, of Israel. It mentions real people, Naomi and Ruth. Now that's interesting. And here's why, because this was a, a patriarchal culture, which meant Women had very little power, very little influence. As a matter of fact, their testimony in court was not even credible. If that's true, think about this. Why would Israel include this in their sacred writings if it wasn't true? If, if, 
the voice of a woman had no credibility whatsoever, why would they include this story about two women? The only thing that makes sense is it actually happened. It actually happened. Uh, the events that we're reading about uh, in this story, it talks about Bethlehem. Do you know that you can get on a plane and go to Bethlehem? You can go to Moab. It's called Jordan. Right here. I got a map. Just in case you think this is Never Never Land. Right? There it is. Right? There's the Dead Sea. Moab is a real place. That is Jordan right there. Right? You can go and visit these places. This is not fairy tales that we're talking about. Chapter 4 says, you're witnesses today. When, when uh, Boaz and Ruth got married, the whole, the whole community was there. This was a public event. The whole community says, or, or uh, the whole community said, hey, we see what's going on. And you know what? Someone wrote it down. Someone wrote it down and they included it in, in the scriptures. Do you know that's how all of history works? Someone had to witness it with a video camera or something, right? Someone had to be there to say, yeah, George Washington was involved in, in founding Berkeley Springs. Do you know this building is on the George Washington National Trail? I, I would venture to say that it's documented somewhere. We're talking about real people, real places, and real times. And here's the point. The history is light in the darkness. And one of the ways that uh, the Book of Ruth shows that is there's a, do you guys see that genealogy at the end? Let's look at it. Right, uh, chapter 4, verse 8 uh, through 12. 8 through 12. Um, now these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Abinadab, Abinadab fathered Nashon, and Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed uh, fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered uh, David. Right? Isn't that inspirational? This list of names. Right? It's a genealogy. Why does the Bible have genealogies? It has a ton of them. It has a ton of them. We ought to get that. We ought to understand this uh, right away, right? Because their culture was very similar to a big part of our culture here. Family is a big deal. When you meet somebody, here's what you do. You try to figure out what family they belong to, don't you? This is exactly what is going on here. This is exactly what uh, was going on here. Genealogies are the Bible's way of tracking God's faithfulness to his promises, Okay, because in the very beginning, God said, okay, I'm picking this one family, and through this family, I'm going to save everybody from the darkness of sin. Through this one family. Let me ask you a question. What do you think would be the best way for God to communicate that? God said, okay, I'm picking this one family. Through this family, I'm going to save everybody from the darkness of sin. How would you? gave us like an Ancestry.com and said, listen, okay, all right, look, here's this one family. Look at the family tree. Right here it is. Right, right here is my faithfulness. It's coming through, this, through Boaz and Ruth, down through Obed, through David, and eventually Jesus Christ uh, comes into the world. We do things like ancestry, DNA testing, because we want to know our history. We want to know about our family. I went up on Ancestry.com, and this is what I, I found. They said this, we connect you to the places in the world where your story started. My uh, cousin Mike, he went over to Ireland and met with some historians and figured out on my 
dad's side, my grandmother, this is what he found out, that our people came through the Atrium Coast in North Ireland, settled in the County Mayo somewhere in the Westport area all the way back in the 1400s. That's crazy. You know what that means? That means I'm like a legit West Virginian. Right? Scots Irish all the way back to the, to the, to the uh, 1400s. Right? Um, but, right, what this genealogy is showing us is that this story, this guy named Boaz, has been doing from the very beginning. Right? This story about these two little ladies, this guy named Boaz, it's a part of what God has always been doing, and it's trying to show you that your story is a part of this. All right, we talked about that uh, a couple weeks ago. Have you ever heard anybody say history is his story? History is God's story. History is the documentation of what God has been doing from the very beginning. All right, that's what this genealogy shows us. It shows us that Boaz and Ruth were the great-grandparents of King David. All right, you guys remember David? David and, and the giant, David and Goliath, that guy. And God promised to David that one of his descendants in his lineage would be the Messiah. That is the true king of Israel, right? And that person was Jesus Christ. And he eventually stepped into human history. There's light in the history. There's light also in healing. There's light in healing. Look at uh, verse 13 through 16. You guys still with me? All right. Let's look here. Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. And the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel, and he will, he will renew your life, sustain you in your old age. Indeed, your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. And Naomi took the child and placed him on her lap and became a mother to him. Um, so I've had a few days off uh, over Thanksgiving holiday, and I probably watch way too much TV. But uh, I used to really like uh, watching those home improvement shows, like the home restoration uh, and stuff like that. But I'll be honest with you, I can't watch those shows anymore. I get like PTSD because uh, we, we, if you don't know, uh, we purchased this, we're a new church, started in 2020. We purchased this building in April and uh, we put a lot of work in here. There was no drywall in here August 1st and we met our first Sunday, August 28th. Um, so I actually have some pictures of this uh, on demo day, right? Demo day. This is demo day uh, in here, this wall right over here. Notice the carnage on the floor. And we got another one. Possibly. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, so you're sitting right now where all that insulation and all that drop ceiling and, and everything. So we have been working to heal this building. Right? It needed a lot of love and, and, and a lot of TLC. And we've taken a break right now. Uh, that's the reason we don't have any lighting in here. We're working on that. It's coming. Right? We're taking a break because we need, we need a break. Right? Uh, but Working to heal this building. Remember the story of, uh, uh, of Ruth. Naomi came back to Bethlehem, her hometown, empty. She lost everything. She lost her husband. She lost her children. But she did have a daughter-in-law. Her daughter-in-law came back with her. 
um, Ruth, and she was very kind, and she was very gracious. And, and the two of them, Naomi and Ruth, they, they cooked up this plan, right? They cooked up this plan to save their family's property and basically to save their lives. So uh, Ruth makes this bold move, proposes to uh, this guy named Boaz. Boaz accepts. He marries Ruth, and that's what this whole chapter is about. This whole chapter is about um, them getting married and giving birth to a son. That's what the whole flip-flop exchange was about. You go home and read that uh, later on today. It'll, it'll, be, it'll be encouraging to your soul. But, uh, yeah, I want you to notice verse 14 and 15 here. Look at what it says. The Lord, who has not left you without a family redeemer today, may his name become well-known in Israel. Look at this. He will renew your life. That is, the child born to Ruth will renew your life. So here's the point. The birth of a child is the solution to their darkness. That's the point. The birth of this child is the solution to their uh, darkness. And, and specifically there in verse 15, it says that, uh, where is it at? And wait, yes, he will renew your life. See that? Focus on that for a second. He will renew your life. Now, if you weren't here, back in chapter 1, we talked about how, you, you guys got to track with me for a minute. You okay? Y'all with me? You can talk to me here. It's fine. You can talk to me the whole time if you want. All right. In the beginning, uh, we talked about in chapter 1 how the word return is a key word to the book of Ruth. So the author wants us to pay attention when, they, when we come across that word, verse 21. Right here it is. Chapter 1, verse 21. Ruth chapter 1, verse 21. Right here it is. I went away full, and the Lord, here it is, returned me back empty. That's the word return. They just translated it, brought me back. The Lord returned me empty. But now in verse chapter 4, verse 15, if we can, if we can go there, I think we have that one uh, on the screen too. Chapter 4, verse 15, it says, He will return your life. He will renew your life. It's the same, same word here. Ruth says, listen, the Lord brought me back empty. Chapter 4, all the people in the town saying, your, your grandson is going to return your life to you. So I'm going to sum it all up. You guys ready for this? I'm going to sum it all up for you. Healing comes through the birth of a child in Bethlehem. Because that's where all this happened. Do I need to even spell this out for you? Healing comes through the birth of a child in Bethlehem. That's what's going on here. Right? This is what we're celebrating this time of year. This is the beginning of the Advent season, of the celebration of the fact that healing came into the world through the birth of the baby in Bethlehem. That's the Bible's whole story. Through the birth of these children, God's promises and God's plan are coming back, uh, coming into the world, that healing comes into the middle of the darkness through the birth of a child in Bethlehem. That's what thousands of Christians, millions of Christians across the world today are celebrating. The birth of a child in Bethlehem, God with us. You see, Jesus heals our lives because they need healing. Apart from Jesus, we are all in the darkness, the Bible says. We're all in the, in the darkness of sin. And maybe that's you here this morning. Where are you at? And, and here's what I want to encourage you with here this morning. There is no sin that you cannot be healed from. There is no darkness that the light of Christ cannot shine on in your life. Look at this. This is why Jesus came. Look at John chapter uh, 1, verse 4 and 5. John chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. In him was the life. In Jesus was the life. 
and that life was the light of man. Look here. The light shines in the darkness. That is present tense. The light is shining in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. You see, this light came in the family tree of Boaz and Ruth through the, through the, uh, the descendants of Obed, that Jesus came into the world to heal our lives. That this world is dark. Right? We just talked about that. But Jesus stepped into the darkness right, to push, push, push it back. And you know, what's, you know what's beautiful about this passage right here? Right? It says, yet the darkness did not overcome it. The opposite happened when Jesus came into the world. He overcame the darkness. And how did he do that? How did he do that? He did it at the cross when the darkness made its biggest attempt, its greatest effort, put its best play on Jesus. Right? All the darkness came closing in on Jesus, yet he overcame it because he absorbed all the darkness of sin into himself, was buried in the tomb, resurrected from the, from the dead three days later. He, he overcame the darkness. And he's the one who brings us out of that. When we put our faith in Jesus, Jesus rescues us out of the darkness and he brings us into the light. That's what Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says. Look at it. He, God, rescues us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son who he loves. In him we have redemption. Same thing that happened to Ruth and Naomi. We were bought back. We were bought with a price and, and brought into the kingdom um, uh, of light. Forgiveness of sins. Maybe you're here uh, this morning and you're like Naomi. You need to be healed. Right? You need to be healed from the darkness uh, that, is in your li- that, is, uh, that is in your life. And here's the call to you. Here's what God is saying to you. You need to come to the light. You need to come out of the darkness and into the light. You need to come out of the darkness of sin and come to trust in Jesus. Maybe for the first time. Christian, maybe you've been dabbling in the darkness. You need to come to the light of Jesus here this morning. And then you need to get baptized. Are you here and you have not been baptized? Maybe you're here and you come to believe in Jesus for the first time here today. You're saying, I want to identify with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you've come to believe Jesus in the past, and it's the next step of faith for you. It's the next step of obedience for you to step out into the light and say, Yep, I'm in the light, I'm with Jesus, and I want, to, I want to publicly declare to everybody that I'm not in the darkness anymore, and I'm going to get baptized here in a couple weeks. So there's light in history, there's light in healing, and there's also light in hope. And that's what we want to end on here this morning. Look at, the, look at uh, Ruth 4, 11 and 12. All the people were at the city gate, including the elders, and they said, We are witnesses. And look at his prayer. May the Lord make the woman who, who, woman who is entering your house, the house of Boaz, like Rachel and Leah, who together become Israel, and your name become well known in Bethlehem. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son of Tamar, born of Judah, because the offspring of the Lord will give you by this young woman. Um, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you guys uh, had the pie experience that I had. We had like pie Mageddon. It was like Pytopia. Uh, it was fabulous, right? And uh, a while back, uh, me and the girls went camping and we gathered up a bunch of pawpaws. Now, if you're not familiar with the pawpaw, it's a fruit that grows around here. You need to look it up. 
Right? It, it's got the, the flavor of a banana and a mango kind of crossed. Um, so we got a bunch of those, and our plan was to make pawpaw pie, right, for the first time. And listen, my wife killed it, right? She made this pawpaw pie. Let me tell you, it was mind-blowing. It was, it was out of this world. So all my wildest dreams come true, right? I had all my favorite pies on Thanksgiving, and it was a beautiful experience. So here's my point. The, the scene here is the whole community is finding hope in this beautiful situation, right? Naomi gets her family's property back. Uh, her, her daughter-in-law marries Boaz. They have, she's, a, she's a grandmother again, right? And it, it's just a beautiful uh, scene here. Uh, Naomi and Ruth are redeemed. And listen, everybody in the whole community is given hope. It's a beautiful thing that's going on here, right? So this passage is all about future hope. It's all about a future hope. And uh, it is a prayer. Did you notice that? Right? It is a prayer that the people are praying for this new couple. They're praying that, that in the future, that blessing and life and hope would come through uh, the, the, this family. It, it says that, uh, they're saying, man, man, may God make you like Rachel and Leah. If you don't know who Rachel and Leah uh, were, their 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those tribes, there was a guy named Perez, the tribe of Judah. Through that tribe came Jesus. That's what they're praying. All right? May God, may, here's what they're praying. Here it is. May all the hopes of Israel and the only hope, the only light in the darkness come through you guys. That was their prayer. May, may all of our hopes, the only hope that we have is resting, coming through this child Obed. All right? That's what they're saying. Man, isn't hope what we need? Isn't hope the, the crying need of our day in, in, our, in our culture? Doesn't it feel and seem dark at times? You feel that? Do you have hope today? Do you ha have hope today? Where is your hope? Where is your hope here this morning? When you look out at the world, when you look out at all the things going on, maybe in politics or in the world or over, over across the sea, do you have any hope? Do you see any light? Right? When you look in within your own life at your own sins and, and addictions and shame and guilt and the things that you keep going back to and you keep doing, do you have any hope? Is, is there any light? I'll be honest. At times I get too easily discouraged. And sometimes it feels like the darkness is closing in on me. That I deal on a weekly basis with death, with people who shouldn't be alive. Some of them do die, right? I've done way more funerals here in this small town than I did in a decade living in the inner city of Richmond. Think about that for a second. And sometimes I look at my own life. I look within, right? And I see darkness because you know what? I'm a sinner. And I'm, here's why I'm telling you this. Because I know all of you experience the same thing. You look out and you lose hope. You look at your life and you lose hope. You look at your struggles and you lose hope. Um, I was thankful to be able to do a little hunting this week. And uh, I get up into my tree stand. I got a harness, safety harness uh, that I put on. Right? And that harness is my hope. Because if my tree stand fails, 
or I fall asleep or I do something dumb. It is, it is what is going to give me security, right, that I don't fall and break my neck. And you know what? Being up in that tree stand, I have a lot more, I'm scared of heights anyway, I have a lot more security and stability and confidence up there knowing I'm strapped onto this tree and I'm, I'm strapped in. So um, do you have a hope harness? Something in your life. Do you have the type of hope that you are secure no matter what? Are you secure in the face of death? Because that's really the test of your harness. All right? Do you have something that grounds you and gives you stability in life, that gives you confidence and security, right, and courage in the midst of all the darkness that you see around you and uh, within you? Because these people had it. These people had it uh, in our passes. They, they, they're, they're offering up this prayer and hope to say, may the Lord make you like, um, may the Lord make the woman who is in your house like the house of Rachel and Leah, look at this, who together built the house of Israel. Listen, our hope is the same. Their hope is our hope. That God, by his grace, has brought us into this family, this long history of what he's been doing throughout the world, right? That, here's what I want to say, God is building something in, the, in our midst that will last for eternity. Do you believe that? Do you know that? See, that, that is our hope. Listen, far too many Christians have a hope that doesn't make any difference in their life. Here, here's, the, here's what is a common experience of most Christians. I became to believe in Jesus at one time, right? I was forgiven. I got saved. I got born again. And my, I hope one day to be in heaven. Now, do you see what's in between there? That moment where I came to believe in Jesus, and then when I go, into be, go to be in heaven, a whole lot of space for there not to have any hope. So, is there hope for the rest of your life? Is there, is there hope for you today when you, when you go home uh, uh, this afternoon? See, the Christian hope is present. The Christian hope is in this life and in the next. See, because, because light has broken into the darkness. And the, the, the light is beginning to shine and disperse the darkness. That means we have hope right now. Not just for eternity. Not, not just in heaven. Right, because the kingdom of God has come. Look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Peter, the, the, the disciple of Jesus, writes this. As you come to him, come to Jesus. He's a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves, you Christians, as living stones, a spiritual house. Look at this. Presently are being built, just like Rachel and Leah built the house of Israel. You guys are being built up to a spiritual house. Holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This passage is saying that, that when you come to Jesus, that when you come to believe in him, that he is the light of the world, and he's a living stone, this passage says. You know what that means? That means that Jesus overcame death. We all die. There's only one who defeated death. And that is Jesus, that he is resurrected. He is reigning. That means Jesus is Lord over all the earth and that he is doing everything that he wants to do in this world. It is his world. He is king. He is sovereign. He is reigning, doing everything that he pleases. And that is our hope. 
as Christians, that Christ is risen from the dead. That's our harness. That's what we strap into um, every day. But more than that, you see this, more than that, more than that, you're a living stone. See that? If you're a Christian, you come to Jesus, you become a living stone too. A spiritual house. That means right here, right now, God is taking you guys and building you up into a spiritual house that he dwells in through the power of his spirit. Here's what this means. What is going on in this room is one of the most important things that is happening in all the world. That means it's special. God is here. God is in our midst. You are the temple of the living God. That there is hope. All right. I completely changed the end of my sermon this morning. That means I think God has something for us here. So what does it look like? Here's what I came up with. This type of hope healing and to walk in the light right what does it look like to have a hope like this to be healed from the darkness in our life to walk in the light here's the here's the first thing there is always forgiveness there is always forgiveness isn't that the story of Ruth that is the story of Ruth Naomi comes back to Bethlehem she thought that God was done with her she thought that God uh, was punishing her and maybe you feel that way this morning. God doesn't want anything to do with you. All right? God is done with you. Right? God is mad at you. God is punishing you. God doesn't like you. God is upset. God is shaking his head at you. He's disappointed in you. All right? Maybe that's how you feel this morning. And listen, it is very tempting to think that. This is the constant temptation for Christians. God is disappointed with me. He doesn't like me. He doesn't want anything, uh, he, he, he's disciplining me, he, he is, he's punishing me. He's given up on me. But this book shows us the exact opposite. Do you see that? It was the very moment that Naomi would come back to uh, Bethlehem and she said, God has punished me, God has afflicted me, he made me bitter, he brought me back empty. That was the moment God was about ready to save her. That was the moment that God was about ready to bring light into the world through Jesus Christ. Do you see that? It is the moments that we think that God is the farthest. God is the maddest. God is the most distant. God is the most upset. That is actually, he's actually the closest. That's what it's saying. One of Satan's greatest tactics is accusation. That is, that is what Satan, the, word, the name Satan means, accuser. He loves to discourage and accuse, accuse and fog up the love of God so you can't see it. This is Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says this. It's talking about how, to, how Christians overcome the devil. They, Christians, conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. Right? You know what that means? There's always forgiveness. You just got to go back and remember that, that the blood of Christ was spilled so that you could be forgiven. And you know what? If it was spilled for you once, it ain't got to be spilled again. He loved you at the very beginning. He's going to keep loving you. Listen, me and my wife, we loved our kids before they were ever even born. And you know what? We still love them. We still love them uh, to this day. There's always forgiveness. There's always light in, in the darkness. Look at this. It says, and by the word of their testimony. By the word of their testimony. All right, that is your story. The story how God has broken into the darkness in your life and, and saved you. Today, literally, today marks, I have been a Christian for 23 years. November 27th, 1999. 
Now, I know everybody doesn't have it. They can't put a date on it. That's fine. That's fine. But you know what? Every year that, that, that I have it on my Google calendar comes up to text message the guys who shared the message of Jesus with me to encourage them. But you know what happened the last couple of days? I start thinking about that. I start thinking about the word of my testimony that God came down in the darkness and snatched me out of it and brought me into the light. He did that in my life. And you know what? He brought me out of it and I'm in the light. I'm not in the darkness anymore. You got to go back to your story. You are not in the darkness anymore. Yes, there's always forgiveness. It doesn't matter how far you've ran, what you've done, what type of sin you got yourself in. You can be forgiven. As a matter of fact, he must forgive you. Because he said, if you repent and you come back to me, you will be forgiven. See, if he doesn't do that, he's a liar. If we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He's just, which means he would be wrong not to forgive us. Number two, what does it look like to have this type of hope, healing, to walk in the light? There's always work to be done. There's always work to be, there's always work to be done. Um, Tyler Childers, uh, the uh, musician, he's got a line in the song, keep your nose on the grindstone and out of the pills. I like that. Keep your nose on the grindstone and out of the pills. All right, I like that, right? Naomi, Boaz, Ruth, what were they doing? Ordinary stuff. Nose on the grindstone. Paycheck, food on the table. Ruth gave birth to a child. Dirty diapers. There is nothing spectacular in this book. No miracles. No word from God. Matter of fact, it looks like God is almost absent and everybody's doing regular, regular, everyday, ordinary stuff. And that's how the kingdom of God came into the world. This book is a huge encouragement to do everything in your power to do what's right. Do everything in your power. Do it. And think about this. They're just going throughout their day. Boaz putting food on the table. Ruth, Naomi, it says... She put him in her lap and became his nanny. She was a grandmother, being a good grandmother, being a, a good nanny. And nanny, you know what? They had no clue that you were going to read about them. They had no clue that you would read about their story. Listen, you have no clue what God can do through your life with just ordinary faithfulness. Just come to community group for 50 years and look back after 50 years what happened. Read your Bible for 30 years and see what happens. Just come to church and take communion every day for 40 years. See what God does in your life. Show up at work on time and just work hard and just be a nice person. Don't complain. And see what God does. Let me ask you a question. What is the right thing that you need to do? What is the right thing that the Spirit of God is saying, you need to do that? Let me, let me, uh, let me give you encouragement. If you're here and you call Wellspring home, you, ha you have a job to do, right? On Sunday morning, right, if you're here and you call Wellspring home, everybody needs to have a job to do, right? There, there's stuff that needs to be done. Coffee needs to be made. People over here working on uh, uh, audiovisual stuff. There, there's a band that needs to be built up here. 
Um, there's communion bread to be cut. Be welcomed and uh, be hospitable to. You guys get the point. You need a job on Sunday morning. That's just a start. That's just a start. You're a Christian. You call this church home. Let's do what Naomi, Boaz, and Ruth did. They just took responsibility for it. Right, do something. Do the next right thing in your life. And see, this is the word of God that we want to respond to here this morning.